0: Shahina, Shahina, come to me now. Shahina, Shahina, come to me now. Shahina, Shahina, I am set free. Shahina, Shahina. For into me I open my heart with your love I open my eyes with your sight I open myself with your sweet leaves I open my mind
1: with your life Well good evening and welcome my dear friends, fans and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. And how are you doing with reinventing yourself in 2016? Have you gotten any clarity on your New Year's resolutions and who your authentic self is going to be moving forward this year? Don't forget to use Bridget's STEAM this month to get some things you feel passionate about going. Yeah, I say Bridget's STEAM because, you know, she's about fire and that sacred water. Perfect time to think about Bridget this time of year. Well, me, uh, in my resolutions this year, or coming into focus, I plan on keeping Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air, provided funds stay available to pay for airtime. So if you've been liking the show and maybe listening for a number of years, um, it would really help if at some point you could uh, hit that PayPal button <laughs> and uh, send in a donation to uh, help pay for the wonderful guests that come on every week. Also, uh, I've started the acquisitions phase for a new anthology, and I put out a call to submissions already. And this anthology, well, I'd like to say it goes beyond Goddess Light or Goddess 101, and it's tentatively called Goddess 2.0, Rebooting the Sacred Feminine for the 21st Century. So that's one of my resolutions to get that done. I'll be continuing the Joseph Campbell Roundtables at uh, Beyond Baroque in Venice and at the Goddess Temple of Orange County in Irvine, California. In fact, I already have the first few months booked for Venice and Irvine, and you'll be hearing more about that so that if you're in Southern California, you'll be able to attend. I'm also coming out of the closet. Well, not the normal way you hear that expression, I guess. I'm coming out of the closet and going public with my spiritual counseling and life coaching. I think I might have some strategies to help others achieve their spiritual and personal goals. So that's a resolution of mine as well. And you know what? I am really focused on giving a TED Talk we really need more female voices on the TED circuit. So, if you're someone out there who makes those kinds of decisions or know somebody who does, I hope maybe you'll help me with that and uh maybe give me uh give me a jingle. I uh, also plan to make myself more available for weekend workshops and retreats and speaking gigs. So, if you'd like me to visit your hometown and talk about living a goddess inspired life, well, let me hear from you. In fact, uh, I'll be back east in March for a, a, a long weekend retreat. I just hope I have enough warm clothes. I hope I have a warm enough coat. And uh the other big project, yeah, this is the big eight, This is the resolution um, that uh, I am putting a lot of energy to is finding the right partner or production team to, to get a goddess or sacred feminine oriented uh, documentary or television series produced and broadcast. So think good thoughts for me on that one. Send me a little energy because that uh, you know that 's a, a difficult thing to achieve but um I'm convinced it's the right thing, and uh, things will fall into place perfectly. I also want to eat healthier and exercise more. That's been a tough one to be consistent with. I've struggled with that for a long time. So I guess... uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the list for me this year. Those are the things on my plate. Those are the balls uh, I'll be juggling and the plates I'll be spinning. And I'm sure if you have your own plans uh, to reinvent yourself, you're pretty focused on those. To, I would just advise to stay Think about them every day because it is so easy to get distracted. And remember, what we put our energy on, good or bad, that's what will manifest for us. If we focus on scarcity or the negative, well, you know what, we'll just get more of that. If we're grateful and see the abundance around us, we'll open the sacred spigot and more will flow our way. So Good luck with whatever you decide you want to set as your goals and resolutions for this year. Uh, Put the list on your altar, on your bathroom mirror, on your desktop, just so you're adding energy to it every day. I remember a woman uh, who told her story about getting on the TV show Survivor, and she said she started out by putting Post-it notes on her computer monitor that she was going to apply for Survivor. And she did. You know, she focused and focused and did everything she could to make that part of her goal happen. And then uh, she actually got picked. And so then the next goal was to win Survivor. Well, I think you probably know how this story ends. Uh, She kept focusing on it, and she made it to the show, and she made it all the way to the top, and she actually won. I I, uh, always think about that when uh, my goals seem insurmountable because that was a pretty big goal and, wow, you know, she did it and we can achieve ours as well. And, you know, I realized last year I wasted time on things that I shouldn't have and I feel much better already with that awareness and uh, I think I'll be less likely to fall uh, into that trap again. And I'm sharing all this with you because... Maybe these tips, maybe they'll help you as well. Um, Thanks goes out uh, tonight to Elaine Silver for the snippet you heard uh, to her lovely song, Shakina. Uh, Also, thanks uh, to Pat for her roving reporter help, uh, which you will hear later on in the show after my interview. If you stay tuned, um, tonight you'll hear a segment of What's the Buzz that uh, Pat helped me compile. Some really interesting and fun stuff I think uh, you'll enjoy hearing. And you know what? i got to ask you, are you feeling the burn yet? (laughs) You know, there are some prominent feminists out there campaigning for Bernie Sanders because, you know, he really wants to change things and not just uh, tinker around the edges. And um, I think it's clear that uh, most people... Are sort of tired of establishment politics and political candidates and you know they really do want to shake things up Um, we want to move left restore some sanity rebuild the middle class and uh, you know I won't be voting along gender lines this year uh, given the chance I'm going to be voting for who I believe is the best candidate and that's Bernie and I'll tell you later the 20 best reasons for being a democratic socialist so stay tuned And tonight uh, I'm happy to have as my guest uh, Molly Reamer. And our topic is uh, woman runes and contemporary priestessing. We'll be talking about uh, the woman runes created by Shekinah Mountainwater, uh, a foremother of the goddess movement uh, who passed away a number of years ago, hence the song Shekinah by Elaine Silver in her honor. And we'll discuss red tents and vocational priestessing and what the difference between priestess as archetype and profession might be and the candle wax priestess. Yes, we'll talk about her, too. And you know what? I think I have an idea just what that is. It might even actually be a pet peeve of mine. So this is going to be a fun conversation uh, with Molly. So sit back and relax. Uh, If you're not busy multitasking, uh, we're going to start uh, that interview after I tell you about Sage Woman magazine. And I wonder, have you heard of it? Have you seen it? Well... Um, Sage Woman Magazine has been celebrating the goddess and every woman for over 30 years. Uh, Sage Woman Magazine brings the wisdom of women's spirituality to over 10,000 women every 88-page issue. And you know what? I'm about to offer you a freebie here. If you call their toll-free number at 888-SAGE-WOMAN, 888-SAGE-WOMAN, which is actually 888-724-3966, and mention this ad on Voices of the Sacred Feminine, uh, you will get a free sample issue. And if you don't want to do that and maybe you just want to go uh, take a look uh, at Sage Woman online, um, that's easy enough to do. Just go to sagewoman.com. Okay. Well, um, I want to introduce you um, again to tonight's guest uh, by way of her bio. Uh, Molly Remer, or Remer, I will have to ask her which way she pronounces it. I'm going to say Remer, has been gathering the women to circle, sing, celebrate, and share since 2008. She plans and facilitates women's circles, seasonal retreats and rituals, mother-daughter circles, family ceremonies, and, and red tent circles in rural Missouri. She's an ordained priestess who holds uh, MSW and uh, well, she'll have to tell me what these are. I don't know the the, the letters. Uh, she holds these degrees and she's currently writing her dissertation about contemporary priestessing uh, in the United States. Uh, her roots are in birth work and in domestic violence activism. She's worked with groups of women since 1996 and teaches college courses in group dynamics and human services. She's the author of Woman Runes, A Guide to Their Use and Interpretation, Earth Prayer, Birth Prayer, Life Prayer, Woman Prayer, and the Red Tent Resource Kit, as well as three social service-oriented booklets and a miscarriage memoir. She has maintained her talk birth blog since 2007 and writes about theology, nature, practical priestessing, and the goddess at her Wood Priestess blog. Uh, Molly and her husband Mark co-create original birth art jewelry, figurines, and goddess pendants at Bridget's Grove. And uh, her business website is bridgetsgrove.com, and her priestess website is goddess Priestess. Dot com. And um, we'll try to remember to have her repeat those again later. So, Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. Well, I'm certainly glad to have you Um Chatting about uh, two different subjects tonight: uh, woman runes, uh, which were created by Shakina Mountain Water in uh, 1987, and uh, you wrote a book about them um, years yes. later in 2007. How did how did that come about? Was did you write the book after Shakina um, passed away, or what yes. was that scenario?
2: Yes, um, I. Uh, uh, okay. It's a it's a winding path, but uh aren't aren't they all. And I uh learned about woman runes, interestingly, from a back issue of Stage Woman magazine. How's that for oh. my segue from your uh, previous <laughs> previous uh points. And uh so in uh so in nineteen eighty seven, Shekinah Mountainwater Mountain Water experienced what she described as a goddess lightning strike of inspiration. <laughs> And she created this system of 41 woman-identified woman symbols for divination, personal growth, or oracle work. And uh, in, in, on the summer solstice in 1987, she said she opened herself to this magic, basically, and the goddess like poured through her, and she created these symbols. And uh, she included them in her book, Ariadne's Thread, uh, which was published in 1988. And um, and then they've kind of been been out there a little under the under the radar for for quite some time. And in uh, so in it wasn't actually until 2012 I was reading a back issue of Stage Woman magazine that was from 1988. So I'd gone back in time a little bit. <laughs> I was reading the uh, this back issue of Sage Joy magazine that uh, was from 1988, and there was a short article in it about woman rooms, and there were some pictures of some of the symbols. And they literally like leaped off the page at me. I was instantly captivated by them. They like soaked into me. And I don't even, I don't know how to explain like the call that they issued, but I saw them and I was just, I was so intrigued. So I did some digging around and I found some old handouts that had been published on the internet and i started to use them i started to use the the woman rune symbols with my women's group at my uh, at the retreats and rituals that we do and we created our own sets of woman runes out of clay and we wrote little messages with them and we created prayer flags with these symbols on them and um i started to feel like um i needed kind of more because what they had was there was a one one to two word Description associated with each symbol. That's what there was, and uh, the women that I worked with would say, "Okay, we, you know, we've made this set. We have these clay rooms. We choose one. You know, now what do we do with it? <laughs> like, what what else is there? What do what do what does it tell us? You know, what are we learning from these from these?" And uh, I just I started a practice. I have a what I call a, a woods priestess practice or a woods practice in that in that I have a um, there's a series of these big flat rocks in the woods behind my house, and uh, I go out to them almost every day. In uh, 2013, I spent 330 days going to the same exact spot in the woods every single day, sitting on the rock and seeing what I, seeing what I could learn from that, and uh, that's where the the woods priestess name comes from is from from that that uh, dedicated spiritual practice of, of visiting the woods and seeing what they have to tell me. And so I started this practice of drawing out one of the woman runes that I'd made in clay and I would take it down to the woods with me and basically see what it had to say. What was the interpretation, you know, what did I get from this this rune? And I would record it in my phone and the little voice notes feature. And then I would transcribe it when I got back into the house. I would type it up. And I just did that as kind of like for fun and uh, because I was interested in seeing, you know, what would develop and eventually I realized I was basically writing a a book of interpretations that went to go as a companion to this woman room symbol system. And so it it, it evolved into a book, It's turned into a book, and uh, so I I now publish a a book and card set. We we went ahead, I made the runes myself, I I made the rooms for myself out of play, and other women have made them out of, you know, little stuff of the wood and stones and that kind of thing. But for ease and simplicity, and to make a nice little package, we do publish uh, cards and books together. So it's a little, you know, a little deck of the forty-one right. cards that you can just draw right. and uh, and use with the book. So that's how it that's how it evolved. It was very kind of it was it, it was interesting, and I still
1: am fascinated. They fascinate me every day. I'm not, I'm never tired of them. <laughs> Well, well, that's a that's a lovely story actually, and you know I think um, now that you've you've told that story, I've seen some of your pictures on your blog, and now I I have more backstory. I now I know where you are while you're doing this, and I, I yes. think there was even a picture of you drew a rune, maybe it was in chalk or something. I remember you had my Walking an Ancient Path book alongside of it, and uh, I loved that image so much. I think I think that might have been one you did and um uh yeah I've a i actually have saved that one in, uh, in in my archive. So Oh yeah um <laughs> so so that's that's lovely. And you know I have to um I'm sorry to say I have never actually um seen uh Shekinah's runes. Um I would not know them if I stumbled over them and I feel like I've probably missed something. Um you know how are how are they maybe distinct uh, from you know from other oracle or divination systems?
2: Okay, well uh, the thing uh, they're, they're, what I feel like makes them distinct from like general divination systems. And I should clarify that you know I love I have some I have beautiful tarot cards and things that I love very much. I love the guy in tarot. And I use it. I use it regularly in things. So this isn't meant to like you know um, criticize tarot cards. But the thing that I find that just like that that is so so powerful about woman runes is how usable they are. Like how you can incorporate them into your daily life. So because they are simple symbols, you know, almost like stick figures or uh, you know line drawings essentially. Because they're type runes are type of communication, you know, a magical alphabet, a way of writing and communicating. And so they're meant to be replicated and used. So you can use them to communicate something about yourself, something that you want to remember, something that you want to attract, something that you want to manifest, something that you want to draw in, something that you want to share out. They're they're this you have this ability to write with them and use them as a means of communication. Either with, you know, your deep self, with the goddess, with the world, they're like a communication method, and so they're easily replicatable. So if you have a tarot card set, let's say, and you you know draw out the High Priestess, that's wonderful, and you can contemplate it, and you can learn from it. But you can't, unless you're a fabulously talented artist, just suddenly draw the High Priestess yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> on your notebook and go about your day. And so with the woman runes, if you draw, let's say, there's one that's called the Flying Woman that I really love, and uh, basically it's just a little little stick figure with the arms in, with the arms in the air. And uh, when I draw the flying woman, in, when I pick the flying woman card, uh, a really powerful practice that I've found to do with them uh, that I actually learned from one of my students, I didn't invent it myself, uh, is to draw the symbol on my wrist with uh, liquid eyeliner because so it's waterproof and that uh, easy to kind of paint with. So you can draw the rune on your wrist. And then it served as like this touchstone throughout the day. So I'm going about my business. I'm typing on my computer. I'm taking care of my kids, whatever. And you glance down, you see the flying woman, and it reminds you, oh yeah, the rune of transformation, change, you know, rebirth, potential, like making these, like you know, leaping forward into uh, into a brave new world. And uh, so they can they like they uh, speak to you or through you. And that process of writing it actually like inking it onto your body is a way of, like, literally drawing that into your life, drawing it into your consciousness and your awareness. So it becomes this really embodied, physical, daily process of engagement or interaction in a way that I've never experienced with anything, any other kind of kind of system. And so you can, you know, write your name with them. I've drawn them on, uh, like I said, prayer flags, uh, the rattle that I use in my red tent circle when we pass the rattle for the women to have a turn to share their story i have woman rooms drawn all along the rattle and um you know we we make notations on calendars with them and create cards for so it's, it's almost as if it. so very it's useful.
1: almost as so it's almost as if they're more powerful by their simplicity yes absolutely Absolutely. So, so um, just maybe. Well, you you talked about the flying woman. Um, maybe just uh, tell us about a, a couple of the other images. You know, maybe a couple of your favorites. Okay.
2: Uh, another one that I come back to uh, uh, is the the cauldron of reflection, <laughs> and uh, the cauldron of reflection. Is uh, is just a little little cauldron sketch with uh, kind of a mirror image in it of two circles, one circle a line, and then a circle on the other side of that that line, and uh, so it's really simple to replicate. But when I draw it, it reminds me of the need for ret- for retreat, for solitude, to kind of have time to pull into myself and to contemplate, you know, what I'm what I'm uh, brewing up in my in my cauldron, and uh, so that one often shows up for me when I'm feeling kind of Outwardly focused and maybe a little stressed or strained by the to-do list, and then I get that cauldron of reflection it reminds me, like, oh yeah, there's a time for time for you know putting information out there and for you know interacting with other people, and there's also a time for pulling in and seeing what you're gonna what you're gonna cook up when you're in that that um, that uh, time of reflection and, and retreat retreat yeah, on and your that-
1: and that is an important thing to be sure to do, you know, so you're not constantly yes. giving, giving, uh, so that you can replenish yourself. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I like that one too. And, and so, yes. and, and maybe and uh, a couple others. I mean,
2: oh yeah, there's the heart, which is just a heart. The heart, the flame. Uh, there's the moon boat, which I love. The rune of journeys. It's a little moon with a little traveling, little traveling woman in the in the moon. Uh, there's uh, the Dark Moon, which is the Crone's Rune, the Rune of Wisdom. There's uh, the Cauldron of Dancing Women. There is uh, the Broom, which is the Rune of Purification, you know, making a clean sweep, essentially. Mm-hmm. There's uh, mm-hmm. the, pin- the Pentacle, a Rune of Protection. Uh, there is, um, let me see, oh, there's the Serpent, which is the Shakti Rune, kind of a Rune of Awakening. And, um
1: so now so, when shakina when shakina first created these runes how yeah. um it, well you said she only had like a, a, a one or two word description but uh, did um uh, the images the symbols um or the, uh, or are they this you know do in that transition from her to you and it sounds like to me you've really sort of enhanced this and you know sort of brought it back alive for for women who um you know, maybe you know the woman runes had maybe faded into the background a bit, and you've sort of revived it. Um, are you using the same symbols as um, yes. Shakina used? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And it's her, it's her so original our, set of symbols. It's her original set, and and mm-hmm. so if you saw them side by side, would you know hers versus yours? Ah uh, no, I mean
2: they're they're the same. They're 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 the I mean her. You know, her handwriting is a little different than mine. Oh, no, no, no. You know
1: what, I... I I didn't ask that correctly. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Um, I know I know the symbols are the same, but because, you see, I, I can't visualize it. I've never seen okay. them. You know, and, and to me, runes are these tiny, square little discs, let's just call them. Okay. Um And is that how, is that what Shekinah's look like? You know, I'm thinking of Celtic runes, you know.
2: Oh, um, no, she did them on cards, too. She recommended uh, creating them on index cards, so they'd be like an index okay. card size. Type okay and, and the uh, the deck that we publish is uh, about like kind of a, a standard playing card size. So the simple
1: okay, yeah. so hers and, and yours see. were both cards. No neither yep. of you actually made the little um you know, the little chunks of clay uh or right. plastic Not or that. whatever they'd be made of. Right.
2: I did for my personal use, I have a set in clay that I cr- I carved with a with a um you know, with a, a toothpick in a in a pottery clay. So I have a set like that that I made for myself that's about the size of a, you know, they're about the size of a half dollar or something like that. Right, right,
1: right, right.
2: Yeah, and women women do use these in a lot of different places. And so, like, there's a uh, Rachel Hertogs who is, uh, she has the Moon Times store and website in the U.K., she uses mm-hmm. the woman rooms often in her, her red tent work there. She has a permanent a permanent red tent yurt uh, that she does a bunch of events in and things in. And in that facility, she and the women she works with have carved them in or wood burned them into uh, little pieces of wood. So they use wood, uh, wood in uh rooms there.
1: So no, lots right. of plays.
2: And that's one of the things that kind of sets them apart, too, is you can totally make your own, like, if you want yeah.
1: to. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know own, I, I got creative once uh, a while back um, to Tracy Regula, who wrote Mysteries of Isis, uh, mm-hmm. created a sort of um, set of – well, She in the book, she, uh, she told uh, – it was kind of a, a crafts project in the book, and it told mm-hmm. you uh, about creating a set of Egyptian ruins, and she gave the symbols oh, mm-hmm. and what the meanings were. So I took these little flat stones that I found, you know, they were um, – And they were easy to draw on, so I took um, uh, these liquid paper pens and just uh, drew the, uh, because they were simple, too, you know, just simple kind of line mm-hmm. drawings. And uh, I just took the the liquid paper pen and uh, drew the symbols on these little fat rocks, uh, flat rocks, which were probably about the size of a quarter, and just sort mm-hmm. of created my own Egyptian um, set of runes and uh uh, took it to Egypt actually on a trip, but anyway. Oh, no, so yeah, no. they, yeah. So these are these are fun things to do.
2: Um
1: yes. And well, and
2: I do. I was going to mention that I do have a free, like an introduction to woman rooms class that I do through the Mystery School of the Goddess, uh, Kimberly Moore's Mystery School of the Goddess. I think she's been on your show before. You've yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Goddess, Goddess Alive. And uh, so I have a free introduction to woman rooms class that is all open access that runs on that. On that website, that anybody is welcome to take, and it kind of walks you through. It gives you handouts for the woman rooms and it talks about the inking, the inking them on your body, and different pro- practices that you can use with them, and how to use them as a the women's circle, and then also different methods for making your own set. And so the people who take that class, I'm really interested to see. You know, sometimes they just you know cut them out and put them on a card. Sometimes they, uh, I have people who've talked about you know carving them or make putting them on gemstones or writing them onto Mm-hmm. So, they've selected mm-hmm. from a sacred place, that kind of thing. So, there's lots of options, and so that class is available to anybody who's interested in taking it, and it's a free starter.
1: So, now would they, so where is that? At the Goddess Priestess or Bridget's Grove uh, website? Uh, if, you go
2: to, if you go to Bridget's Grove slash Woman Rooms, so bridget'sgrove.com slash Woman Rooms, it will okay. take you to, uh, you can then click on the class link from there.
1: And you just kind of do it at your own pace.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, it starts with okay. you sign up, and then you can, but uh, you can post questions. Or I, I uh, talk to people on there about how to write their name and with the woman room, So then they'll post it, they'll post a picture of their name, and we'll talk about what it means and, and that kind of stuff. So it's really, it's really
1: fun. Well, now that's interesting to me. So, so what you're saying is each symbol maybe refers to a letter. So everybody's name is a like hieroglyphs almost.
2: So, each yeah, each symbol is associated with a sound, and uh, so you can match up the symbols with the sounds that it's associated with, and you can write your name, like your woman woman's name. And then what I typically oh. do in the little class is I, I kind of, like, translate it for you into a sentence. So you end up with a, you know, kind of like a personal mantra or affirmation or, you know, this collection of what the, the runes in your name mean. So... Um, you know, so it would be like you know, creating magic through celebration and healing, or something like that. Wow. would be the, like the meaning of your name, and so then people have that kind of draw on for strength. I love that.
1: I love that. That really piques my curiosity. I got to tell you, I'm going to try to make time to go do that. <laughs> well, you definitely can. you
2: be welcome. So uh,
1: okay, I was say,
2: okay. Uh, can I go backwards just a little bit into? You mentioned that, that, that Shakina had created these and i did just want to like to acknowledge that i do feel uh like that they were the uh the symbols kind of they, they kind of like I said they were kind of under the radar they sort of dropped out of people's awareness and she didn't actually end up like kind of developing them as much as she planned to or hoped to she had a tarot deck mm-hmm. she was also working on but she wasn't able to finish before she passed away and uh and so i really feel like you know humbled and, and honored to carry a small piece of her work forward into the world because she was such a foremother and way shower. You know, I know that's part of the mission of your, of the Voice of the sure. Feminine program is to, is to, you know, speak to that. And so I did want to acknowledge that she was really significant, um, she had a really significant influence to me, even though I didn't actually know her in person, yeah, and to a lot of women as one of the the mothers and way showers of the original you know goddess spirituality movement in the in the u s and I just I feel really lucky to have to be a part of keeping some of her legacy alive for other for other women
1: yeah and you know I'm sure wherever she is now she is grateful for you keeping her legacy alive um you know and and this is just uh just one wave she is uh you know she's still with us you know every time right. a woman right. you know uses uh uses the woman runes which exactly. uh, you know yeah it sounds like you you made them even more user friendly and uh it was uh um uh, you know you you really built on 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 it and uh mm-hmm. yeah it sounds sounds lovely um well uh, it, it was there anything more you wanted to say about the woman runes before we started talking about the contemporary priestessing
2: um I don't think so I
1: think
2: that was that that i think i cover covered what I wanted to say about them
1: Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'm I'm glad we have this topic too tonight. Uh, the idea of contemporary priestessing, because uh, first of all, I mean, I don't know if your experience has been the same as mine. But number one, you know, when I go out in the world as um, a priestess or a minister, legal clergy of uh, a, of an alternative religion, you know, I'm not Christian. You know, I'm not professing to be a Christian anything or a rabbi or a Muslim, you know, you're out of the big three. Uh, I think, first of all, people are surprised that there's such a thing as legal clergy in these... um you know in in these alternative religions and then too even the idea of a priestess um, it comes loaded with so much misunderstanding Um, I even spoke to a woman once who uh, had you know sort of bucked the system with the Vatican because she believed she had been called to be a priest and she was Mm -hmm. one of the woman woman priests who was ordained offshore and was act you know for all intents and purposes she was a christian uh or catholic priest and but she Mm -hmm. didn't call herself a a priestess she called herself a priest and when i interviewed her here on the show you know she i asked her i said look you know you've gone this far you're defying the vatican um you know you're you're a priest you know you're a catholic priest you're a woman why why in the heck don't don't you just call yourself a priestess and, you know, she was sort of stymied for a moment and she she said, Well, I guess the idea of a woman priest uh was confusing enough to people. If I called myself a priestess, no one would know what I did. And ah. so that I you know, I think that sort of segues maybe into what we're gonna talk about, um, contemporary priestessing. I think we need to get the world up to speed. <laughs>
2: Yes, yes, yeah, and I do find, uh, you know, I I think that using the word priestess, you know, is a po- both a political and kind of revolutionary act. Really, you know, it seems like we, you know, we uh, we may just, you know, gather in our small little circles and and have it, it might seem like from the outside like. Just a little group of women getting together and singing some goddess songs, <laughs> but really, it's like making—it's uh, a political statement to mm-hmm. name claim to name and claim the priestess, and and I feel and I know, like linguistically speaking, that priestess and goddess both in uh, you know in the the um, English language are considered like kind of d- diminutive forms or whatever. But mm-hmm. if I can put my own goddess spin on it, I prefer sure. to see both words as a actually a more expansive word, so goddess, to get hold mm-hmm. both god and goddess in the same word. So the word right. goddess is actually bigger than the word god and more encompassing, holds more, has more yeah. power almost. And so yeah. I feel the same way about the word priestess. Priestess isn't like a lesser form or a lower form of the word priest. It's actually more expensive and has more room yeah. within it. So that's what I
1: think, but it's not. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, really when you think about it, I mean, we have to face the fact that we are creating a new world. You know, we're creating yes. a new world for women. We're creating a new world for men. We're creating a new religion. We're creating new ideals or at least restoring some maybe mm-hmm. we think they were old ones that got buried or forgotten right. um so this is this is important stuff and we got to remember um that the, you know Christianity started with women in their living rooms And, uh, you know, over time, you know, over time, look, uh, look where they are today. Not that, you know, uh, the institution is something, you know, more and more people are rejecting it, but the whole idea that just because it starts small doesn't, um you know doesn't mean it's not important and powerful and can't change the world in time you know right. um so- so this um so you're doing a, a dissertation research on uh, contemporary yes. priestessing, so is that actually for college credit for fun i mean how where you know why is that on your to do list these days <laughs> okay
2: um well, I am almost finished with my uh, a uh, doctoral degree at Ocean Seminary College it's a doctorate of ministry in um, in theology or god studies at uh, mm-hmm. at Ocean Seminary College mm-hmm. and uh, and you have to write a dissertation <laughs> and uh, there's uh, options of writing a like a, um, a scholarly a scholarly dissertation that's focused on academic research or a uh, like a personal a personal dissertation that focuses on kind of like inner inner processes and, and discovery and that sort of thing. Or there's like a mixed modality option where you blend the academic with the, the personal. And uh, so I toyed with a bunch of different ideas. It's hard to write a dissertation, and it's a big project. And it's a little scary, and I've been working on this degree for like six years, no, uh, five years, I guess. It's so long I've been working on it, and this is all I have left. And uh, I toyed with ideas. I almost wrote about about the, my woods priestess practice and the things I'd learned from the things I'd learned from the forest and my and my time sitting on a rock. But I decided instead that I wanted to focus on on contemporary priestessing. On I call it practical priestessing too. Like what does I, I'm you know it's, it's interesting to read about Greek priestesses and you know like you said um, the you know kind of. Maybe th- historical legacy, uh, people from the past who maybe served in, this, in a priestess capacity. But I was curious to look at, you know, what does priestessing look like, primarily in the United States today. Though I do have some participants from the UK and from France in the in the research group. But I want to know, like, what I wanted to know, like, what does what does priestess work look like? What would it mean if being a priestess was a legitimate, you know, job? Uh, An occupation. Mm -hmm. If a little girl growing up, you could say, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And she could say, "A priestess," and that would actually be like an avenue, a vocational avenue. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, and so it really started. And so I thought, this is I'm going to dig into this. And what I hoped to produce in the end was kind of like a you know a manual, like a practical priestessing manual, essentially. Like what does priestess work look like? Who does it? Why do they do it? How does it how does it you know show up in the world? And uh, and what what is the significance? You know, what is the value and significance to it? And uh, it really had the roots in two different quotes <laughs> or two different experiences, rather. And uh, the first was that I started to get frustrated with the use of the word priestess as kind of a empowerment buzzword type of thing, which mm-hmm. is uh, similar to how people use goddess sometimes, you know, be a goddess yeah. in the bedroom, you know, kind of stuff, or, like, be the, you know, the goddess of playing tennis or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I started to notice priestess sort of popping up like that too. And uh, this is a this is not the real um story. This is like a modified to, you know, not embarrass anybody or point your fingers or anything. So let's just say I saw an ad on the internet that was for a um so this is like a you know um hypothetical program and it was for the high priestess uh, nail your webinar training,
1: okay?
2: <laughs> so it's basically yeah. about being a high priestess of sales and marketing and and webinars. and yeah, and, uh, can, and,
1: and, some- and can you imagine? Can you imagine, Molly, that someone would dare to do that using the name uh, using God? Right, you know, I mean, right, exactly. stop, stop and think about that for a minute. And and I know as Ava Park at the Goddess Temple always says, one of the things they always run into with the with the word goddess is it's always associated with these sex sites. So oh um, right at, oh right yes. at, you know sex sites. And mm-hmm. so when people when people see priestess or people, people see goddess, sometimes they automatically think it's some sort of. Um, uh, prostitution or something.
2: Absolutely right. Yes, absolutely. And so that, so I was seeing those kinds of things pop up more and more, as well as things. And like we said, we were going to talk about the kind of priestess archetype and and profession. And I don't, I'm I'm not like critiquing the youth, the the priestess as kind of an inner archetype or kind of stepping into your sense of the the priestess, much like we've used you know some other archetypes in our lives, the mother or the maiden, you know, the crone, the sage woman, the the lover, the, you know, those kinds of other archetypes. And so I can see the use of priestess in that capacity too, like kind of an inner awakening, an inner process. This might be a woman who's never going to, you know, stand up in a group of people. And, uh, and uh, guide a ritual or, you know, publicly identify herself as a priestess, but it's kind of an inner an inner process of awakening like the priestess within.
1: So that's kind of the Yeah, yeah. This, it's it's almost like you're saying uh, I'm not I'm it, not like it, critiquing it it's that it, per se, but it's almost like you're saying, you know, they're using. At least I'm seeing it. They're almost like it's almost like saying they're the, you know, uh, they're at the top of their game, and and right. you know, but in their, right. and they're and they're using the the label priestess to say, um, you know, I'm queen of my realm, or I'm yeah. you know mm-hmm. I'm top dog, I'm the best. It, but, right. but they use but they use priestess and they don't realize how disparaging that is to people like us. <laughs> exactly right, and so I've seen an
2: increasing use of it, kind of as a as like an empowerment buzzword. You know, like claim the priestess, like everyone's a priestess, you're a priestess, you know, everybody's a priestess. And uh, and I think from a vocational perspective, I'm like, well, you know, everybody's not a doctor, let's say, and everybody's not a Car repair man or a car repair person, and everyone's not a mail carrier, and everyone's not a doula, and everyone's not a midwife, and everyone's not a dentist. That there are actual, and so if we had activate your inner dentist, it would seem kind of like, wait a second, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. the dentist is actually, uh, you know, actually like a skilled area of study and practice and and effort and service of service to, to others. And so so that I get kind of frustrated with the with the buzzword use or the you know, the the boom, everybody's a priestess just because right, you right. think it sounds nice kind of idea. Right. And then the other the other quote was from R- Ruth Barrett in her uh, women's rights, women's mysteries book and she says, like, it's you know, what's your vision, basically? What's your vision of being a priestess? And if it is wafting about in silken robes looking lovely, then you need to get another hobby. <laughs> because the reality is that you will be the last person left in the rented hall scraping the candle wax up off the floor. (laughs) Mm -hmm,
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm, yeah. And so those are my two sources for this dissertation project. I'm like, the high priestess, nail your webinar manual, and the candle wax. (laughs) Who's doing the scraping the candle wax? And I will say, I have some lovely silken robe that I do waft around in looking lovely. <laughs> so <laughs> you can have a robe and, and also scrape the candle wax. But what I wanted to look at is like when the can, when the wax hits the floor, like who's there. <laughs> that, right, who right, right. About and so well, I was yeah. just, uh, it was just beautiful to see this. I had this, this uh, research group on, on uh, Facebook. I just used a Facebook group and there's so many women joined that group. And, uh, and really, just contributed their voices to my questions about this, this uh, the priestess as a vocational path or as a as a um, that's real real work, and uh, doing the candle work, and uh, and it was just it's so wonderful to see how those those other voices came together to create really a nice tapestry of uh, of uh, understanding, and so I don't pretend to like know everything or have all the answers but i thought when i started out like i can just write this dissertation i've been doing this work for quite a while i've been ordained i have a masters of divinity degree i I've, I've spent like you know time working in this in this area and i've read you know every book that was ever written that has priestess in the title or uh you know, buried within it. I've looked at all the academic articles I can find because I happen to be a, a professor too, so I can get into the academic libraries. And uh, and there's surprising little bits of precious information in there too. So I've done a lot of reading and, and research, and I thought, I can just write this dissertation on my own. You know, I can just do it. And then I thought, wait a second. Like, I'd like to know if this is going to be like a living body of work. If I want to look at what's really happening, like in the world, then I need to ask the women who are actually doing this right now not the people who have written books before or, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. though Those are valuable sources. I'm not discounting. That's valuable, valuable work. But I want to look at who's doing this right now and what they're doing and what they're experiencing. And so I started posing these research questions in my um, research group. And I'm so glad that I didn't just – think I could do it all by myself and then I could just write it based on the, the research that I've done because just to everybody's perspectives and the twists they would put on my questions or the the way that one question would kind of unlock another question and then it would unlock another question and then somebody would chime in with a totally different perspective or a, a unique experience to share and it. It's so much vibrant and more rich than it was if I had just been sitting here alone in my little room typing on my little computer. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, really, because you know it's,
1: we've it's, we've all, yeah. we've all had such different experiences and different communities, um, you know, doing priestess work. And uh, yes. I, I I remember when you I, I I think maybe when you were in your early stages, I might even have um, uh, said some things on your yes. on your uh, Facebook page there and yes. and. Uh, Uh, And I'm pretty sure it was a magazine uh, called, it it used to be called Of a Like Mind, maybe. Uh, I want to say it was that one. Uh, I could be wrong, but for some reason that's what's popping into my head. And I haven't thought about that magazine in ages, so maybe, um, you know, I'm I'm actually – uh, you know, uh, on, on top of it, but uh, I remember a long time ago there was a lot of controversy in our community about what a priestess was amongst mm-hmm. amongst women in the goddess community, and yeah. um, and some of it I think came out in this magazine. And what was very interesting was there were some people uh, they even referred to priestesses as the big peas and the little peas, yeah. and uh, and 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 I found that so. I I guess disconcerting, because Mm -hmm. here we were here we were a group that was trying to do away with hierarchy and try Mm -hmm. to establish you know more egalitarian uh, ways to be in the world and respect one another rather than um, you know uh, having this hierarchical ladder, and you know here were you know women in the community trying to it's almost yeah, yeah, it became divisive, um, but, you know, and maybe it's like Charlene Spretnack writes about, you know. She writes about the power deprived uh, in her book, I think, Living in the Lap of the Goddess, and she says that, mm-hmm you know, people who feel marginalized out in a mainstream society oftentimes will try to build a congregation and a following in alternative religion. Because, you know, I, I guess what she's I don't I these are my words, not hers, but I gathered because it's more about the ego in, in some cases or partially mm-hmm. or something like that. And I could very easily see that some of these women who were um, t- you know who were claiming themselves to be the big P priestess, in other words, uh-huh. the real priestess, right. and uh-huh. and 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 seeing others as the little P priestess or n- not a real priestess we're doing the very same sort of patriarchy in a skirt thing um and right. and it was sad it was sad really you know because mm-hmm. um uh, because i i think you know we sort of learned that every woman is her own priestess you know she priestesses mm-hmm. at her at her own altar and but yet you know maybe there are some women who um you know, maybe do it for 20 or 30 years, and maybe they do serve the community more than they priestess at their own altar or for their own small circle or for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of those women took offense at this idea right. of big P, big P, little P, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, and you did mention that in the group when we were talking because I talked about, uh, you know, like basically like defining the priestess because one of the things I say is maybe she eludes definitional capture, right? <laughs> like maybe it's not possible. And uh, so that's why I love that I've drawn in these other these other voices because instead of acting like I have the definition and I know exactly what it means, I've been able to uh, kind of pool the resources and see the, you know, survey the options, you know, what are some yeah. ways to look at this? And you brought up the big P, little P in that in that discussion. And I've actually thought about that multiple times since you since you talked about it. And I do include a little section about that in the in the research that I or the the um draft of, of my dissertation that I've worked up because I think it's really important, as you say, not to marginalize People and at the same time, I want to like dig into this and mm-hmm. see like how does this work in your life you know how does this manifest in your life in your service to the community in your you know in your daily practices like where where do we see this showing up and so um, I feel really um lucky to have had the multiple perspectives to to pool so that i didn't accidentally slip into that territory of you know judging or um or, uh, you know, issuing a decree about right. who, was, who was right, right. And, and who was wrong, but instead right. of kind of and looking at the, the, pooled, the pooled wisdom. So I feel really lucky about well, that, and well, I'm glad yeah. you brought and
1: that up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think there's there's also the issue of diversity, you know, because there are some women who, I mean, just to use an example, and, um, you know, they might say a real priestess is someone who, you know, stands in the front, you know, stands at the center of the room and invokes the goddess, mm-hmm. and uh, or, or a real priestess is the one that's uh, a hospice worker or the one marrying and burying people, where another woman could just as easily say, well, you know, I am a priestess and I I uh, teach about goddess uh, through my art, you know, and they mm-hmm. may see, see themselves as just as legitimately a priestess as the one who leads ritual or cares for the sick and dying or does these life passage rituals, you know. Right. So, right. I, So I guess in my mind, you know, as we... As we create this new world, um, you know, I, at least myself, you know, I'm of the mind. Let it be as wide and diverse as possible rather than narrow and constricting uh, because Mm -hmm. then, again, all we're doing is um, perpetuating, I think, um, you know, domination, control, patriarchy, blah, 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 you know, the thing we're trying to get away from.
2: I think that's why I've increasingly used that phrase vocation, vocational priestessing instead of I- issuing any you know d- final definitions about what it means to be a priestess. So that for me, that gives me the additional like definition is when I'm talking about vocational priestessing, I am actually talking about like a you know like a, a job, <laughs> and mm-hmm. for and that gives to me that preserves the. Breath and the depth and the wide open arms of the word priestess, while still being specific enough to know what I'm talking about, which is about that about those candle wax priestesses, sure, and uh, and that kind of thing. So for me, that's been my answer is adding instead of uh, trying to. Force everybody under one one label. I've added an additional label to it, sure, to, to, to issue some more clarity. And I do absolutely think, like the um, like, I, I talk about being a heart priestess too, like a priestess of my own heart. You know, I do full moon rituals with my kids and and solstice uh, rituals mm-hmm. with my family, and there's the real value in that priestessing your own heart and really priestessing your own heart first before you're trying to run out and do a bunch of. Um, you know, activism in the in the sure. wider world and, uh, sure. and I sure, that has a has a lot of
1: value also um well especially for especially in a in a let's just say a role a role that mm-hmm. has been lost for thousand you know for for so for so many years to women um i i think it's important that we explore it as fully as possible mm-hmm. you know and it's interesting about the candle wax priestess because i have to tell you i have met more than a couple real big p priestesses who wouldn't be caught dead scraping the candle wax <laughs> off the floor. Right, <laughs> right. You, you know, know. Uh, it,
2: I mean, it,
1: was, Oh, no. Go ahead. I, go ahead. I, may, may I, I, oh, I was
2: just going to say you mentioned about about priestessing like through your through uh, art and through your work too. And I I make uh, goddess sculpture. That's like my other my other um, business. And the other thing that I do is I make these. These little goddess sculptures that are handheld, little goddesses, like portable, you know, portable little goddesses. And when I make them too, I often feel like that is a, a lineage, like an unbroken line that stretches back to whoever carved the goddess of Willendorf, you know, the wonderful little goddess of Willendorf. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I feel, I feel like this is a legacy in my hands when I make these sculptures. And I read uh, in part of my research, I read an article about. You know, all the little clay figures they excavated from temples in, um, from ancient temple sites. And there'd be, you know, thousands or hundreds of these little clay figures, you know, buried in the ground or, or set up in uh, this small, you know, set up in the areas in this, this temple kind of structure or in a room behind the house, et cetera. And, uh, and that the theory is that some, there may have been some priestesses who that was their job was to make all the little sculptures yeah. for the people who came to the oh. temple. And Absolutely. so I feel that way when I make them. I'm like this is part of that legacy that that unbroken chain kind of from of these little sculptures that kind of travel with you and bring the bring the goddess along with you and uh there's something there's something really um I'm kind of potent
1: about that sensation Yeah, absolutely Well, you know what you're reminding me of um, I led a tour to Greece for 24 days Back in the 90s I haven't led a tour <laughs> in a while uh, It's it, Anyway uh, but, but one of the places we went to Was the island of Delos And uh, it's an archaeological island Basically I mean, nobody lives there Except a couple of archaeolo- archaeologists And maybe some guards And the person who runs the museum And there is a very, very small temple of isis there with a statue of isis without her head just her torso is on a pedestal uh-huh. if i recall and as i knelt there in front of her i i just i had to, i had some of these flat stones that i mentioned to you uh earlier when we talked about the ruins and i had yeah. uh uh written on them before the trip uh because uh, you know, I I, in, I intended to do this. Um, uh, I had written on the little stones, hail ISIS, um, and and some other little things like that. And at some of these archaeological sites, I actually buried some of those stones. Mm-hmm. And I remember there on Delos, I took uh, a crystal earring. And one of those stones, and buried it, you know, like maybe, you know, three or four inches under the dirt in front of her pedestal, imagining that maybe one day an archaeologist would find it. And I had the date on the the stone too, that that mm-hmm. some archaeologist would possibly find it and know that in the 1990s there were still people honoring the goddess Isis. Right, <laughs> right. I thought and, that about my own. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, go
2: ahead. I was just going to say I've thought that about my own uh, my own house because we do. This is part of our, our business is making these little sculptures. And so our house is full of these little sculptures, and they get shipped out every day, you know, all around. to, to they, I sent them to Kuwait and to New Zealand and Italy and France and all this, these places. And I thought several times, I'm like, someday they're going to excavate this house and say, obviously there is a lot worship going on in, uh, in central Missouri at this time. Of, uh, this was you know, a temple. The 2000s. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so, so, Molly, in this priestess dissertation, um, mm-hmm. are there one or two things that, um, you know, really just sort of jump out that maybe surprised you that uh, listeners might find particularly interesting? Oh,
2: let me
1: think about that.
2: Um Mm, I there's a lot of things that are that are interesting about it. So it's hard to hard to choose something. I I'm still thinking on thinking on the candle wax but the amount the amount of women that had a some kind of story about catching on fire. <laughs> that was surprising. That uh that was a common a common thread and we talked about that as being like an initiatory moment, you know, like you know you're <laughs> you know you've finally gotten there when you've caught caught on fire and then uh, kept going. So, uh, That's funny. So that was that was kind of funny, but then also, uh, and also yes, like the variety of roles or the ways that the, the priestess can be expressed in the world. So like what, what, were the, the, the what were maybe the what were maybe
1: some of the most unusual, um, you know, people identified as priestess that, um, you know, might have been oh. a little bit out of the ordinary.
2: Okay. Well, this isn't. This isn't. Uh, it, quite exactly that. But I, I finally, towards the end, have got got a little bit into the issue of the of the um, you know the quote-unquote temple prostitute or the relationship between or how people perceive like the priestess as kind of a sexual role or not, and how does that intersect, and how when we're naming and claiming or publicly stepping forward and saying like yes, I'm a priestess. Is that actually viewed by the wider public as synonymous with prostitute like are you saying hey i 'm a prostitute is how is are they perceiving it that way and uh, that's something that i I left kind of till the end of the of the dissertation, and so i'm really still kind of digging into that topic, and there's definitely differing opinions about the role of sexuality in increase priestess work that I, maybe it's because I live in the Midwest and we're kind of conservative here, I mm-hmm. hadn't really like even, I hadn't even really taken the lid off that box <laughs> until yeah. uh, till, uh, late late in the process and I think I still have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of work to do there. So that was kind of our, that kind of snuck up on me a little bit.
1: Yeah, I bet. You know, because uh, like you said, you're living in a conservative part of the United States, Mm -hmm. and you know, we carry that uh, Christian uh, shame and baggage. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I think that colors um, how we look at sexuality. Where I think, in you know, ancient times, we didn't, you know, we we you know we didn't have that, so it. um uh, you know, I, I mean I'm I'm thinking of the movie, uh well it wasn't a movie, it was the I think it was for it was on for three seasons, uh, Rome. Uh it was wonderful. I think it was on Showtime or HBO, I can't remember, but uh they had I thought that done their homework rather well and they actually depicted many pagan rituals and uh uh-huh. one of the pagan rituals was where uh this couple was just uh purchased some land, and the the husband and the wife actually were having sex on the land in front of their friends. And it uh-huh. you know for for them it was an act of um of calling in prosperity, you know, mm-hmm. and the you know the onlookers, their friends you know didn't think anything of it, but I mean, can you imagine us doing something like that now right <laughs> right. right you know
2: well, not, that reminds me not not exactly but but uh, that was another thing is that I think geographic region has more of an influence on like how your priestess work looks and what your service is like and and how it's expressed is is more that was Another surprise to me is it has there's more of an impact of geographic region and and, uh, local culture than I maybe understood before. And if I hadn't opened myself up to the other to, to other women's voices, I wouldn't have noticed those differences are been exposed to you know does you know being a midwestern a midwestern priestess you know looks different than a being a coastal priestess <laughs> and yeah and those things have an, have an influence too on uh, the the people around you and things uh, and I was just okay. going to say real quick I mentioned the hearth priestess thing but I also talk about the the mama priestess or the the priestess with children and uh in the academic research it's definitely reinforced that most priestesses in ancient times either did not have children, they didn't have children at all, or they um, did not come into priestess work until after the children were grown up. Or they were the temple, you know, the um, maiden priestesses, so they served as priestesses until they got married and had children, and then they left the, the temple. Yeah. And, uh, and so it makes me wonder. Like, and and even even today, you see the same thing. The same thing. Ha- I uh, my roots are in birth work, like I said. So you see the same thing happen in, in mid- midwifery too, which is has a long, you know, relationship with with priestess work, midwifery, and and, uh, and uh, helping women have babies, and also working the temple. And uh, so the uh, so you see people who don't, who are um, like younger women, and then you see women who are grandmothers who are doing this work. And the women kind of in the middle territory, like the ones who are kind of immersed in the the parenting years, uh, they're not really represented or they don't really show up. And uh, that was one of my questions, too, is kind of where is that mama priestess and how does – is having children at home and serving in priestess capacity, is that even compatible? Or is it a maiden role or a crone role? Are those those where the uh, priestess comes in? So.
1: Well and it that makes you think think about how the church, um mm-hmm. you know, at least the Catholic Church has decided that Uh, Men can't have families because I think it's too much of a distraction, and they can't put the church first. Um, So Mm -hmm. I could see where maybe a woman, uh, it would be difficult for a woman to be a mother and a priestess. But on the other hand, you know, women have, uh, you know, we're multitaskers. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. uh, yeah, so, I mean, because I certainly see you as a priestess and a mother and don't even think twice mm-hmm. about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But, but you know, thinking back to the sexual priestess, the uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, out here in California, uh, I hope I pronounced this right. I think they call it a uh, Herodule, maybe. um Herodule. Oh, right. yes. Um, and uh, and and I'm probably murdering that. I've only seen the word spelled. I've never actually heard somebody say it. But you know, even as liberal as I am, um, I have to admit, you know, it, it I, that 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 sort of priestessing. Uh, I can understand why you may be left at last in your dissertation, because yeah. <laughs> uh, there's so much. Because, look, even me, if I run across somebody who tells me that that's what they do, unless I know them well, I, I can't help it. The skeptic, the the, the cynic right. in me, pops up and goes, okay, so is she just trying to overlay prostitution with an acceptable title of priestess, or do, mm-hmm. or is she really really performing um uh, sexual surrogacy or something like what? that and she sees it as a sacred role. You know? Yes. Um so so it's it's fraught with um uh difficulty <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, yes, I think I to agree, discern, As a, you know
2: Right, and as a you know, as like a mother with four kids in the Midwest who also teaches on a military base and who identifies as a priestess, I'm kind of like, uh-oh, I don't know what he thinks. I want to know what priestess <laughs> You know what I mean? And so, and so then that raises flags for me of what do I mean by quote-unquote those priestesses or how am I devaluing these other expressions of what people see as their sacred work or their sacred role. But that's kind of my original, you know, new-jerk reaction. I think that's why it didn't rate. Uh, which are on my on my screen when I was uh, working on the research just because of you know where I am and kind of the the stage of life that I am in it's like the farthest thing from my my mind or my personal experience of priestessing and uh, exactly like
1: kind of like, oops oops I've missed yeah. something here well 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 I have to ask you I mean you since you you said you're there on a, a military base you know I, of course you know we all have our you know our think stereotypical ideas you know be they right or be they wrong you know i always thought someone who found themselves on a military base would be surrounded by very conservative people um i mean have have you had any pushback about any of this goddess or priestess stuff or uh, am i just of the wrong opinion about people in the military
2: well, um, I so I actually live 40 miles from the military base, so I don't live on it. I just teach there. Okay and uh so in that way it's actually it feels a little i keep the the two areas kind of separate like i keep my teaching on post kind of separate from the priest's role or identity i kind of like you know I, I kind of have a separation between them though i do have to laugh like i drove in to the. i have to go through the the gate and i have to have my little department of defense like id thing to have them you know scan me in and let me onto the post the closed closed post and uh, and I drive up and I have my uh, goddess playlist, you know, playing. And so uh, I was listening to, uh, well, I, Big Bad Gina is a band that I like, and they have one that's called Amazon. She, I'm Amazon Warrior Princess. It's the name of the. Song And so I was listening to this Amazon Warrior Princess song, and I pulled up, and it's playing, and the little guy comes out with his scanner and his gun, you know, and he goes around my car and, like, looks in the back seat, you know, and I just had the, I thought, this is a collision of worlds, you know, Amazon Warrior Princess. Guy with gun looking <laughs> in my car, and uh, it's just interesting. And I've had other ones comment, "I wear my goddess jewelry that I make myself." And sometimes the gate guards will say something like, "What is that?" You know, I like your necklace, and I'll say, "Oh, it's goddess," and they're kind of like, "Oh, interesting." And uh, and I carry my, I, I take a little goddess with me. I sit her on the desk when I teach, and uh, occasionally the students will say something about it. They'll say, "I know you always wear those necklaces. Like, what does that mean?" And. Uh, It's just kind of interesting, but I had a lot of misconceptions about the military before I started teaching there, and uh, a lot. I'm embarrassed to think back about the stereotypical kind of attitudes that I held towards people in the military. And uh, what I find is that they're amazingly diverse and, and open, and they have all kinds of ideas, and they've been all kinds of places, and they've traveled all over the world, and they've interacted with all kinds of people people and they're actually much more skilled at like cultural competency and communication and conflict resolution than my non-military students are. Like they're actually, they have way more skills. <laughs> and I had this stereotypical view that they'd be like marching in and like saluting and, you know, and being real uh, kind of, you know, by the book. Yeah. And, and super like all the, like the hands, board. Right. And they're, they're just, they're really not. They're different people just like everybody else. Their reasons for getting into the military are incredibly broad and uh, and the reasons for staying and the, what they're doing there is it's just it's really broad and so I uh, feel like I had a very narrow narrow conception of what it meant like so I do I teach in the biological nuclear and chemical warfare building <laughs> like that's where I teach and so going into that building with my status necklace on to me feels like a small act of you know revolution. <laughs> I'm going in there, and I'm walking past the sign that says biological, nuclear, chemical warfare education, and I teach human services. And so I I talk about, you know, the partnership model. I talk about ethic of care. I talk about power within versus power over. I talk about, like, how you don't have to have a dominator. We don't have to have a dominator model. We can have a partnership model. I talk about, like, empathy and compassion and connection and ethics and and uh you know assuming positive intent and working with people like from a heart-centered position instead of from an adversarial position and they they totally respond to that they totally respond and uh my best moment ever was <laughs> with one of my uh students he was a, he was a military student who joined uh, you know as a 17 year old out of East St. Louis which is really a really uh church uh struggling type of area, and he uh, was career, he'd been in the military for about 30 years and uh, had been all over the world and done all kinds of things. He was great. He was hilarious. He was such an awesome student to have in class. But he told me, he spoke up midway through the classes when I was talking about, you know, responding and working with people with empathy and compassion and love, essentially. And he said, being in your class is peeling a stab off my heart.
1: Oh. Well, and, and I I'm sitting here... I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you say that you were priestessing on that military base. I, 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 I mean, I don't know whether you call it that, but I call it that.
2: Right, <laughs> right. That's what I. That's what I see. And that moment to me stands out as like that. This is, and if I have been, had been too scared to do that, or to go somewhere that felt hostile from the outside, you know, from the outside looking in, mm-hmm. felt like a hostile climate. But if I had been afraid to do that, then like where I would never have had that moment.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> With that right. Student well, and, the
2: scab. and they tell me, I've had other students tell me that uh, you, this class and taking these classes and interacting in this way has taught me how to feel again <laughs> and that I've had to become hard. I had a, this other great student who said, the military trained me to be hard, I had to become hard. And I want to be soft again. I want to be soft again. and So, Molly, how,
1: how is it you're there doing these classes? I mean, is it something sponsored by the military, or, or these are just elective classes, and they've invited you to teach on these subjects? You know, subjects?
2: Uh, it's, a, it's a college. I teach for a college. And, uh, and the college that I teach for has, um, that's one of their specialties is military outreach. And so they have, okay. uh, they have extensive, so there's a, there's a home campus of the college, like a big, a big regular campus, and then they have um, satellite campuses at all kinds of different locations throughout the country and even in Guam. Uh-huh. And uh, they, so their specialty is they call it access. They were originally an all-women's college, and they started as an they, so their their focus is this access accessibility thing. They were an all-women's college, and they were founded in the 1800s because the college that was in the town was um, was men only it was a men only college, and so some of the professors from that college founded a new college that was uh, that was a women's college and that allowed women to come in and uh, so that was their like foundation was opening this accessibility to people who didn't have access to education and then in the sixties they decided to expand and they made these little these little satellite colleges primarily on military bases around this country and Again, for accessibility reasons. So, people who are living in remote locations, like the college where I teach, which is out in the middle of nowhere, have access to higher education instead of being, okay. uh, having no access. And then right. they also were one of the first schools to form an online campus. And again, that brings online campus, online college education to anybody in any place. You know, I have students in Afghanistan who have taken my online classes, and uh, so the accessibility is really key, really key for the yeah, school. I see. So they have schools. There's one in Cal- there's one in um, Florida. There's one in, like I said, there's one in Guam. There's one in. Uh,
1: in, okay. in Missouri,
2: the multiple campuses in Missouri, all the place. So, so it's a regular college, college campus, college degree uh, program, and I teach in the Human Services Department. But they have degrees in gotcha, history and gotcha. English and biology and all that kind of stuff. I just happen to be in Human Services because gotcha. I have a okay. my master's degree in Clinical Social
1: Work, and I teach there. Okay. Um, well, and it's interesting that you brought that up because when we finish our interview, uh, one of the things I was going to share with listeners is uh, the classes that are coming up at uh, uh, the Center for Partnership Studies, the foundation that mm-hmm. Rhianne Eisler actually, uh, you know, put together some years ago and because uh, they're getting ready to have a um, – a, uh two two programs coming up. Uh one of them is called The Power of Partnership, uh 7 Relationships mm-hmm. That Will Change Your Life. And oh, uh wow. when I was I am actually enrolled in that myself and uh interesting as I was looking on uh Re-Ann Eisler's Facebook page uh for the Center for Partnership, I uh, stumbled across this article uh that Singapore The Singapore government uh, said that uh, economy, caring society is among their new parliament's key concerns, so says the president. Can you imagine Mm -hmm. that? So in Singapore, the 13th parliament of the republic has five key aims, and – and, you know, in one of them is fostering a more caring society. And I just thought, yeah. hmm, this stuff is becoming more mainstream every day. You know, we might feel like we're, um, you know, we're pushing a boulder uphill, but, uh, you know, I don't think so. Uh, I I think more and more people are are getting it that it's about the we and the us, not the I and the me. And um, I don't know, I I think that's why so many people are are supporting Bernie Sanders, too, because that all sort of ties in together, you know. Uh, But anyhow, uh, Molly, I I think – unless uh you know it's it's about time for us to sort of wrap up the interview. Is there anything okay. you uh maybe wanted to share that uh I uh didn't think to ask you that you feel listeners might want to know?
2: Um well, I guess uh, this is just a little, uh, a little aside, kind of. But uh, I did, I actually uh, found you and voices of the sacred feminine because of my commute to the military base. I was looking oh. for a podcast. I was looking for something to listen to on my drive. I don't uh, and. Uh, And I found Voices of Sacred Feminine, you know, quite a few years ago. And so you and your voice and your guests and the programs that you put together have accompanied me, you know, back and forth (laughs) for probably – I don't know. Three years now in the car. I wow. Half episode on the way there, and I listened to half the episode on the way back. It takes me a while sometimes to stay caught up. I'm usually back in the archives somewhere, like catching up with the episodes. But uh, there's really been a that's really a, a nice legacy to be to be leaving, and a, just a valuable treasure trove of information and, and research. And so I've really valued your companionship on my drive, <laughs> even though you didn't know well, you were it, <laughs> <Thank> you.
1: <laughs> Well. And, and now I have a new visual. I can see you on the road with my voice blaring out of the uh, your headsets or the radio or or, or something that's like right. that. That's, that's funny. But and you know, when I consider this part of my priestess work, you know, I mean, there or there there are women who don't agree with that you know there there are women in academia who don't consider this teaching uh but you mm-hmm. know what i i consider this teaching and i also consider this priestess work you know just because mm-hmm. i'm not standing in front of a classroom and there aren't 30 people sitting at desks i don't think this mm-hmm. is any less of a teaching in fact it's probably it reaches more people than a few people sitting behind desks in a in a in a box mm-hmm. of a room, and uh, you know, and, and I don't know, you know. So, so yeah, t- teaching is priestessing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, and
2: the traditional—that was another little section of the dissertation—is that the kind of the, tr- the the three components of like a traditional clergy role are teacher, counselor, and uh, ceremonialist or ritualist. And mm-hmm. so, if we're only doing ritual, we're missing like two of the three legs of the triad. <laughs> and there if we're go. only teaching, we're missing we're missing those. And so the, being a, a teacher, a ritualist, and a counselor, like that's all kind of rolled into one, and uh, mm-hmm. there's lots of expressions. There's lots of expressions within all of those areas of how it's yeah works.
1: Yeah, it's like the three legs of a stool. Yeah, it, that makes yeah. perfect mm-hmm. sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Molly, before you go, um, would you go ahead and mention your uh, book titles again and your websites?
2: Um, yes, yeah. My, our, my primary website is uh, com and there's links there to lots of my different programs and things that I'm working on, as well as to our Etsy shop, which is where we sell the woman rooms, book, and cards, and where we sell our goddess sculptures and our goddess jewelry. And so that's com and then I also have goddesspriestess.com, Priestess, which is where—that's more my personal blog where I write about, um, you know, practical priestessing. I write about my woods priestess work. I write about nature. I sometimes dialogue about theology and and uh, and then share, you know, ritual ideas and and that kind of thing as well. So, those are my those are my websites. And um, I do—we didn't get around to talking about—I I do uh, red tent work as well. And so I do have a, a red tent initiation training program coming up. That there's information about on my website. Um, it's a seven-week seven-week program for people who would like to be red tent leaders and or facilitators. And um, I'm the author of Woman Rooms, guides their use and interpretation. Uh, also, a book of earth-based poetry that's called Earth Prayer, Earth Prayer, Life Prayer, Woman Prayer. And uh, those are that's a collection of poems that came out of my 330 days in the forest. And uh, I also have the Red Tent Resource Kit book and um, a short digital book that's called The Ritual Recipe Kit that takes people through um, different types of, of ceremonies. There's ceremony outlines for a variety of women's ceremonies in that. So.
1: Well, you you uh, have been putting out a lot of work. You've been of great service uh, to all sorts of different communities. So I congratulate you on uh, all you've accomplished, and you no doubt will be continuing to do more. So I'm glad to know you're out there. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome, well, thank you, Molly. so much for being on the show tonight and uh for everything you've shared and uh you know for, for the for the the wonderful contributions you're making and just a reminder to listeners that they can go and uh get that uh that guide to use the woman rooms on your website too uh not to forget that uh either yeah yes. and that's that's bridgetsgrove dot com slash woman rooms Okay. And uh and like you said, red tent training coming up which is very mm-hmm. important. Uh my listeners know a lot about the red tents. Um I've had Deanna Lamb and Alyssa Starkweather and Isadora Leidenfrost on the show and uh uh glad to know that you're involved with that too because I think that's another important uh movement that um, you know, raises awareness and, you know, helps women step into their full power and um you know all the wonderful work of the Red Tent movement. So thank you for that yes, work absolutely. too. Absolutely. All right then. Well, well, thank you so much, Molly, and uh, I'm sure you and I will stay in touch. I definitely,
2: and uh, thank you so much for having me, and thanks for all the all the wonderful work that you do, and all the contributions you've made to everyone.
1: Oh, uh, well, we're all doing our little part. So thank mm-hmm. you so much, and um, you know, uh, I'm sure we'll chat again. And good night. Good night. Well, we are crossing the threshold uh, into the second part of the show here. For some reason, my audio is not. There we go. Yeah. There's kind of been a delay uh, in, in the audio. It's uh, Anyhow, we are crossing the threshold into the second part of the show here, and uh, I wonder if uh, listeners uh, have discovered my Goddess Calling audiobook series yet. You know, I started putting some of the messages from the book, Goddess Calling, um, onto audio because you asked me to, uh, so you could listen while you're busy doing other things, because uh, sometimes you found it hard at times to just sit down with a book because you had so many other things to do. So I uh, began reading the short messages um, from the Goddess Calling book, and they're they're in the archives. If you uh, scroll back down a few weeks, uh, I also put them on YouTube. So if you Google uh, Goddess Calling audiobook series and my name, Karen Tate, uh, they'll pop up. So either here uh, on Voice of the Sacred Feminine or, um, you know, on YouTube, you'll find them, uh, I will be putting out new ones every few weeks, uh, so if you have a chance to listen, I hope you'll let me know if you're enjoying them and, and if you think this has been a good idea. If Does it serve you? Should I do more? Um, like I said, there's only been about three um, that came out. One was Separating Truth from Myth, which was um, inspired by Thanksgiving holiday because so much of the things we just accept as fact and truth is in fact not um, and uh, then uh, there was also I think another one about uh, um, a dreaming and inspiration uh, because of the time of the year you know we're at uh, that time when we are uh, sort of going within, waiting for the return of the light, and it's the perfect time to start thinking about reinventing ourselves and our resolutions and things. And um, I think maybe next week I will release uh, another one. So I have two or three out there now and another one coming soon. Uh, Also, uh, please remember the three uh, Fs. Uh, the first F is to remember to click the follow button on my uh, blog talk uh, show page so you get notice of guests each week and that way you don't have to rely on getting an email from me because I don't often have time to send out those email reminders or post on Facebook all the time Um, and even if you've clicked the follow button before you might want to click it again because uh, sometimes I don't know why uh, but I even find Mind that uh, sometimes I get notice of the shows and sometimes I don't and um, could be some sort of technological glitch so don't assume that uh, you know, you're know you still in their system or still in sync um, so hit the follow button again also uh, go to my Facebook pages that's the second F and if you haven't already I hope you'll like them uh, especially, uh, the, especially the Karen Tate author page I'm t- trying to shift people away from my Karen Tate personal page to the author page because I'm getting close to 500, I'm sorry, 5,000 friends. And uh, pretty soon I won't be able to accept friends anymore. So I'm trying to shift over to the Karen Tate author page. Uh, There's also Facebook pages for my books, uh, Goddess Calling, Walking in Ancient Path, Sacred Places of Goddess, and um, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And um, on another subject, I hope you didn't miss the last two shows I did with Dr. James Rietfeld, uh, who is the foremost authority on Artemis of Ephesus in, in the world, really. Uh, he is also an authority on Islam and God of spirituality. And we did two great shows to start the new year. One was on Islam called Fact and Fiction. Uh, the other I called Beyond Gimbudis because it spelled out a little bit uh, about the controversy uh, with with our beloved foremothers' work, uh, but more importantly, um, how you can talk about goddess spirituality uh, from an academic perspective with a surety that you've got a solid foundation for what you say. Because, you know, some people throw the baby out with the bathwater just because some of the things Kim Buddha says, um, some people think it's on shaky ground. They think all of it is, and that's not actually the truth. Uh, there uh, are, are very solid foundations for goddess worship and goddess spirituality, and that's what he and I talked about and uh next week uh normandy ellis uh, will be back here on the show uh discussing her newest book the Union of Isis and toast uh we'll be talking about Egyptian shamanism, divination, oracle traditions, and much more so uh be sure to um come back next week and yeah maybe you uh, recognize bees buzzing Uh, those are the bees buzzing round in my bonnet and uh, I want to say thanks again to Pat my roving reporter for compiling some interesting tidbits uh, and things to think about and I want to share them uh, with you right now Uh, the first one I found was uh, this definition of fascism and I think it's really important to know. Uh, Robert O. Paxton, one of the world's leading scholars of fascism, describes the phenomena in his 2004 book, The Anatomy of Fascism. And he, this is his quote. He says, uh, Fascism may be defined as a form of political behavior marked by obsessive preoccupation with community decline humiliation, or victimhood, and by uh, compensatory cults of unity, energy, and purity, in which a mass-based party of committed nationalist militants work in uneasy but effective collaboration with traditional elites, abandons democratic liberties, and pursues with redemptive violence and without ethical or legal constraints goals of internal cleansing and external Expansion. Yeah, that was a mouthful. I think that was one long sentence. Uh, But uh, it felt so true, you know, when you hear some of the stuff uh, coming out of the right, um, you know, or some of the things coming out of Donald Trump's mouth. uh, Fascism, most definitely. Uh, Again, May be defined as a form of political behavior marked by obsessive preoccupation with community decline, humiliation, victimhood, and by compensatory cults of unity, energy, and purity, in which a mass based party of committed nationalist militants working in uneasy but effective collaboration with traditional elites abandoned democratic liberties and pursues with redemptive violence, and without ethical or legal constraints, goals of internal cleansing and external expansion. So fascism is upon us, unfortunately. Uh, some other quick things here. Uh, microbeads be gone. Um do you know those little microbeads in face and body scrubs? Well, turns out they're really bad news for the ocean and the critters that live there. Of the 808 trillion of the little buggers that wash out of American drains daily, 8 to 11 trillion end up in the ocean where they persist for decades and collect, and, uh, collect things like PCBs, BPA, and other pollutants, then end up in the fish we eat. Then in a twist of politics, bipartisan support has passed a bill through the Congress to ban production of microbeads after 2017. Well, um, you ask what will be used in place of these little microbeads. Well, we could go back to using ground nut hulls uh, like we used to, and there still remains the problem of vast quantities of plastic pollution in the oceans. So while this is a start, we definitely have a long way to go. Then there was the story about the federal judge who upheld California reproductive health into law. Uh, Here the story goes that a federal judge in California has upheld a recent past state law that will require crisis pregnancy centers which discourage women from seeking abortions to provide information about abortion affordable contraception, and prenatal care. The judge rejected the argument that the law violates the clinic's free speech rights. So the law requires these crisis pregnancy centers, which, you know, oftentimes are run by the religious right, and they usually discourage women from seeking abortion. Well, now they have to offer, here in California anyway, they have to offer information on abortion, affordable contraception, and prenatal care. And in addition, unlicensed crisis pregnancy Pregnancy Centers will be required to inform patients of their status, and the law is scheduled to take effect uh, this month, January 2016. So the ruling may still be appealed, but for now, the truth is required to be spoken. Uh, Also, uh, remember all of those lights people put up for the holidays, you know, decorating for Christmas? Well, the United States uses more energy on Christmas lights than Ethiopia does for their whole economy. Maybe we shouldn't lecture them on their dams. Interesting. And uh, the next interesting tidbit, wasps no longer eligible to be buried in Arlington. Wasps, wasps. What do they mean by wasps? No, it's not uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. This instead is women Air Force service pilots, wasps women air force service pilots they were created in 1942 with the intention of granting uh being granted full military status but congress never approved it only a thousand women were accepted into the wasp program which ran for two years now they can't be buried in arlington despite having been allowed uh, to be buried there for the last 13 years these women uh, uh test pilots Uh, flew repaired military aircraft, trained combat pilots, and were fired on with live ammo during training. Earlier in 2015, then-Secretary of the Army John McHugh ruled WASPs ineligible. It seems Arlington is run out of space, the Merchant Marine Corps is also affected by this ruling. But Kate uh, Landak, a Texas woman's university history professor who has focused much of her academic research on WASPs, said that they are a distinct group of women with the the surviving 100 or so women all in their 90s, and it is mean-spirited for the Secretary of the Army to question their value to their country again. So um uh, you know here we have the male dominated uh military uh seems again uh diminishing or uh not valuing the role of women so uh what are you going to do uh we have another a little tidbit here called uh, Collective Liberation. And the Grand Prix celebrates the lifetime achievements of comic book writers and illustrators, but not if you're a woman, apparently. One of the 30 people who made the short list. Uh, Of the 30 people who made the shortlist, none were female. However, in a show of allyship, according to one commentator, 10 of the men withdrew themselves from the nomination in solidarity with women they felt should have been on the list. The organizer said they couldn't find any women who were qualified, but... Uh, put two women on the list despite that. In the 43 years of the Grand Prix, only one woman has won. As one commentator said, it is a disservice to everyone when anyone qualified is excluded. Yes, indeed. Exclusion is not the goddess way. Uh, here's another cute thing from Pat. Uh, it sort of tickled my fancy. It's called Why Cats Aren't Republican. Um and here's, here's why. Uh, living with a cat for the first time, you quickly pick up on its behavioral quirks, many of which are common among other cats. What you soon find out is that cats aren't Republican, and here are 12 reasons why not. Number one, cats are curious about what you do in your bedroom, but they don't try to legislate away your freedom to do it. <laughs> Number two, cats may take away your cushion, but they'll give it back to you with a gentle push. Number three, cats give you attention and sympathy when you're sick. Number four, females are treated with importance in the cat world. Five, cats make use of solar power, often all day long. Six, cats lick their own problems and take care of other cats, too. Seven, cats don't blame black and brown cats for their troubles. Eight, cats know how to ration their resources. Nine, Fat cats are not at the top of the cat hierarchy or not cat role models and have more trouble surviving and thriving, not less. Ten, while Republicans blindly follow authority, it is said that getting Democrats to act in unison is like herding cats. Eleven, cats don't follow their own nest. And twelve, Cats are popular and well-liked on the Internet and elsewhere. (laughs) So that's 12 reasons why cats aren't Republican. Um, Now, I promised to share with you uh, Bernie Sanders' 12 best reasons for being a Democratic Socialist. So here's another list. And, um, you know, if you heard my show uh, with Richard Wolfe, the economist, you learned that the only reason we have Social Security, and I didn't learn this in school, so I was, I was surprised to learn this, and that's why I'm sharing it with you. You may have already known this, but in case you're like me and didn't know this, I am going to repeat it again because I think it is worth repeating over and over and over. The only reason we have Social Security is because three groups of people pushed f d r into making him um, you know get social security done and established it was the labor party, it was the socialists, and it was the communists. yes, those three demonized parties. In our predator capitalistic society of today, it is because of them we have Social Security. And let's not forget all the things we do have that are socialist, our roads, our libraries, Social Security, Medicare, lots of other different things. So anyway, uh, here are just real quick, short list, 12 things that – are common and uh, important about being a democratic socialist so when the clinton campaign or the republicans start screaming socialist socialist oh my oh who runs to the hills i'm so afraid it's horrible think about this what it really means don't drink the kool-aid um okay first of all Democratic socialism means that we must reform a political system which is corrupt. That we must create an economy that works for all, not just the very wealthy. So it means major political and economic reform. And we know that that is so necessary because our government has been pushed so far right. Even the Democrats look like Republicans used to look. Um, there's no there's no strength in labor anymore. Employees are being Exploited corporations rule everything, uh, banks rule everything. yes, we need major political and economic reform, not just tinkering around the edges like an establishment candidate like um, Hillary Clinton would do. Uh, number two, it would be an end to corporate welfare, yes, indeed, why should these corporations that make billions of dollars? cheat employees, exploiting them, not giving them decent benefits, hide their wealth overseas, don't pay taxes. Why should we continue to give them what's called government subsidies or corporate welfare? They're making enough money. Uh, it's not like they're uh, you know, they're having trouble staying in business. Um, the third thing, a national public health care system. It means that health care should be a right of all people, not a privilege. And, uh, you know, we could get back to the idea of Medicare for all or single payer so that um, we don't have these high deductibles and high premiums Uh, because, uh, you know, with Bernie's idea, uh, we wouldn't even be paying premiums. You know, it would be uh, very similar to Medicare, if you know anybody uh, who's on Medicare. And not just in Scandinavia but in Denmark and Sweden and Finland or Norway and in Canada. Uh, it exists we could do it too if we could just take the power away from the corporations uh, that prevent us you know from doing this number four tuition-free public colleges and universities you know it's gotten to the point where a college education doesn't get you much you i'm sorry a high school education doesn't get you much you need a college education to be a barista and starbucks for heaven's sakes so when Bernie talks about democratic socialism, it means that in the year 2015, uh, when a, when a college degree is equivalent to what a, a high school degree was 50 years ago, uh, if we're going to compete in um, uh, you know with other countries uh, around the globe, we need to have more of our people with a college education, and we can't have people. Uh, getting out of college with this huge debt that they have, uh, especially if, you know, we don't have decent jobs that are going to pay them decent wages uh, when we get out. You know, great universities like the University of California, the City University of New, of New York, were virtually tuition-free. Um Number Five, a government that creates jobs, not prisoners. Uh, democratic socialism means that our government does everything it can to create a full employment economy. It makes four more sense to put millions of people back to work, rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure and uh, than to have real unemployment rate at uh, almost 10%. And if you're a black man, it's probably more like 50%. You know, it's smarter to invest in jobs and educational opportunities for young people who are unemployed than, than lock them up and invest in jails and incarceration, which goes back to corporations and privatized prisons. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, the game is rigged. Six a living minimum wage and real family leave. Democratic socialism means that if someone works 40 hours a week, that person should not be living in poverty, that we must raise the minimum wage to a living wage, (coughs) 15 bucks an hour over the next several years. It means that we join the rest of the world and pass a very strong paid family and medical leave legislation now sitting in Congress. Number seven, stopping climate change causing industries. Democratic socialism means that we have a government policy, strong government policy, which does not allow the greed and profiteering of the fossil fuel industry to destroy our environment and our planet. Simple. Stop the fracking and everything else. Number eight, the wealthy must pay their fair share of taxes. Democratic socialism means that in a democratic, civilized society, the wealthiest people and the largest corporations pay their fair share of taxes. Okay? It's not acceptable. Uh, Like in the last two years, 15 of the wealthiest people in the country, 15 people saw their wealth increase in in this rigged economy by $170 billion. Got it? in 2 years 15 people 170 billion increase in their wealth that's more wealth than is owned by the entire bottom of 130 million Americans you know this has got to stop number 9 america's political system must be a democracy democratic socialism does not mean that we must create a a nation of economic and social justice and environmental sanity. It does not just mean we must create a nation of economic and social justice and environmental sanity. It means that, but it also means that we must create a vibrant democracy based on the principles of one person, one vote. So it's out with this citizen united stuff. It's out with this uh, idea of all of these rich conservative billionaires can buy politicians, buy the laws, and which affect all of our lives. They have way too much power. Number ten, democratic socialism is not a government takeover. The next time you hear uh, Bernie attacked as a socialist, like today and tomorrow and every day until uh, you know we get to the primaries, remember. He doesn't believe government should take over the grocery store down the street or own the means of production, but he believes that the middle class and working families who produce the wealth of this country deserve a decent standard of living and that their incomes should go up, not down. He believes in private companies that thrive and invest and grow in America, companies that create jobs here, rather than companies that shut down in America and increase their profits by exploiting low-wage labor abroad. He believes that most Americans can pay lower taxes if hedge fund managers who make billions manipulating the marketplace finally start paying the taxes they should. Number 11, equal treatment by government, not racism. Uh, Bernie says uh, he doesn't believe in special treatment for the top 1%, but he does believe in equal treatment for African-Americans Uh I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Bernie says he does not believe in special treatment for the top 1%, but he does believe in equal treatment for African Americans who are right to proclaim the moral principle that black lives matter. He despises appeals to nativism and prejudice, a lot of which we have been hearing in recent months, and he does probably believe in immigration reform that gives Hispanics and others a pathway to citizenship for a better life. And finally, number 12, uh, do not become a cynic, work for change. He says, do not, do not, do not become cynical. He said he's running for president in order for all of us to be able to live in a nation of hope and opportunity, not for some, but for my seven grandchildren and for all of you. You know, I love this man. I think he uh, is finally saying the stuff that we've all been thinking, and I think we've been too brainwashed to say, Uh, you know, all we have been hearing is, oh, the job creators, you know, they're the sacred cows, Uh, we just need to let them do whatever they want to do because they create the jobs. But you know what? There comes a point when when these job creators aren't creating jobs, uh, when they're not sharing the profits with their workers, when they're exploiting their workers with no benefits and slave wages. I mean, uh, um, there are way too many companies. When you uh, get the job, they tell you how to sign up for food stamps, because they know they aren't even paying you a living wage. All of this crazy stuff has got to stop. And, uh, you know, when you hear on the news Bernie can't be elected, I think they know damn good and well Bernie can be elected. They're seeing how fast people are flocking to him when they actually hear his message. He is saying what should have been said for decades, but the Democrats have become too corporatist. They let us down. And uh, finally, finally he's the one saying it, and that's why I am campaigning for him. And... Um, I hope you'll give him a look, too. And finally, before I say goodnight, uh, I want to make sure you know uh, about uh, the book by Joe Carson called Celebrate Wildness. Uh, Celebrate Wildness, its full title is uh, Magic Mirth and Love on the Ferraferia Path. Uh, It's only out a few months, and it's expanded second edition. And Ferraferia calls uh, itself a love culture for Wilderness. So if you are a fan of nature, uh, this is a book uh, that you will like. It will help you uh, connect with nature, you know, maybe in a deeper and more meaningful way than um, maybe you've been able to on your own. Um, it helps connect you to the fairy spirits of the land and the stars around you, and it, it wants to create a paradise or sanctuary uh, type of essence, Um you know, uh, all over the earth, and uh, it's rooted in ancient Crete, the Eleusin Mysteries, and the troubadour practices and megalithic traditions. Uh, Farfaria also celebrates the goddess as the merry maiden called Kore, with laughter and play. They say Kore carries keys to the future. Um, also in the book is the beautiful artwork of Fred Adams um, that just sort of leaps off the page. And, uh, you know, I, I do have a copy of this book, and I have to tell you, I do recommend Celebrate Wildness. Uh, it is a true hardcover art book uh, printed on heavy paper uh, with images of the goddess, uh, photos, symbols, diagrams on almost every page. Uh, it would make a fabulous gift for a loved one or yourself. It would be a wonderful conversation starter as a coffee table book. And it's available from the Farrah Feria website, and that's spelled F-E-R-A. F e r i a, and if that's a term that's new to you, look it up. Ferifaria, ferifaria, and um, again, the name of the book is Celebrate Wildness: Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Ferifaria Path uh, by uh, a longtime supporter of the show, uh, Joe Carson, who also did the uh, the film Dancing with Gaia, uh, which I also recommend well uh that um that about does it for me tonight, uh dear listeners. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I will leave you with uh the re- with the thought I hope you remember that you are the cognitive minority, you are the ones ahead of the curve, waiting for the rest of the folks to uh catch up and get with it and raise their awareness and evolve. Uh, And don't forget, uh, if you expect change in the world, you can't keep doing the same things over and over and expect to get different results. Uh, Another reason, I'm supporting Bernie, you can't keep doing the same things and expect to get different results. So we need to shake things up. Um, And along the lines of this uh, changing the world idea, the new normal, remember, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win you know I can see that in so many things I can see it in God's spirituality how it evolves and forgive me I'm I'm really on a on a roll here with bernie but I can see it in the bernie sanders campaign first they ignored him then they laughed at him yeah look at this old socialist with the glasses and the hair and you know he's he's uh, kind of this you know crumpled crotchety old man but you know what now they're fighting him You know what? Now they are fighting him. Hillary is getting dirty, uh, saying things that uh, she really shouldn't say if she expects to ever have Bernie supporters uh, support her. And you know what? Like Gandhi said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Well, you know, I'm looking at a poll on TV right now. They say, who would do a better job dealing with Wall Street? Bernie Sanders, forty six percent. Hillary Clinton, twenty nine percent. Bernie is burning it up. So I hope uh hope you're feeling the burn out there. Well, uh that'll do it for me tonight, dear listeners. I hope you will uh, be back with me next week when I interview Norman D. Ellis about our new book, The Union of Isis and Toth. Uh it's my pleasure to be with you all of these years. Um this is the 10th year uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine is on the air. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show over these years and you've never had the opportunity to send in a donation, I hope uh, you might be able to allocate some discretionary income uh, to uh, help me keep uh, putting the show on the air for you. If you'd like to do that, please go to my website, KarenTate.com. Once you're there, go to the Goddess. Uh, store page And when you're at the goddess store page Scroll down uh, Happy if you look at my books Or all the free meditations and things that are there uh, That don't cost a thing uh, But go all the way down to the very bottom of the page And that last PayPal button That will enable you to make a donation of any amount And uh, I thank you if you've already done that uh, And uh, if you haven't yet I hope you will soon Because remember What do you nurture you nurture What you tend to, it thrives, and what you neglect, well, it withers and it goes away. And um, I don't think you want the show to go away any more than I do. So thank you very much, and uh, I'll close with the music by Diva Haley called Sacred Alchemy from her Sacred Alchemy album. If I can get it to play. Ah, Here we go.